Good to see everybody. If you're new with us, welcome to Edgemere. You found a good place. I was reminded of that again, just, just sitting here this morning, just seeing Jackson and Evan up here helping lead our thoughts. And there's just so many exceptional young people in this church. And we've had this kind of little baby boom with couples having young families, starting off their families and having kids. And it's just, it's just such an affirmation of the life and the future that I see for Edgemere. And that's not true of every church can't say that. And so it just as a reminder that this is such a good place. Uh, I'm so glad to be here with you today. Well, several years, I've mentioned before, several years ago, I went to Washington, D.C. We went to Washington, D.C. Uh, on a, a trip. And it was a great trip. And we saw so much. And despite being there for several days, there is still so much I did not see. I would want to go back and, and, and see some things that I did not see on our first trip to D.C. So ever ever go back, one place I definitely want to go to is the National Archives. Didn't get a chance to go in there, but in, in that building is this room you see up on the, on the screen. There's a room there called the Rotunda for the Charters of Freedom. Do you know what I want to see when I go there? Paper. Pieces of paper. I would give up a day of vacation to see pieces of paper in that room because those pieces of paper are the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And that piece of paper on the screen, the Bill of Rights, is because of that piece of paper that we enjoy these extraordinary freedoms in this nation. Freedom of speech and of the press and the freedom to assemble and the freedom of religion and the freedom... To, to keep and bear arms and the right of due process and the sanctity of our homes and private property. I am very grateful for the Bill of Rights. I'm very grateful that some people had the foresight to put that on paper so I have those rights. The Bill of Rights protects we the people from our government. That's, that's their purpose. And I want my rights when I'm dealing with the government. But you know, I don't demand my rights. I don't talk about, well, my rights when I'm talking about my marriage or my family or my friends or my church. And that's because rights, by definition, by nature, they're, they're defensive, they're antagonistic, they're, they're protective of what is ours. Rights are not the basis for a loving relationship. And it, just, it, it struck me this week, read back through the Bill of Rights, and I was preparing for my series here on the, the Ten Commandments. In the Bible, I don't see a fixation on rights. I don't see Scripture being obsessed about rights. It's because instead of rights, a biblical worldview is about relationships. We said that this, this whole series, this, that the reality of the world that we find ourselves in, that God made for us, is to get it right is to get three relationships right. Relationship with God, our relationship with others, and relationship with the earth. So in this study, we've, we've ended up camping out in the Ten Commandments because they are a brilliant encapsulation of how we should approach all three of those relationships when it comes to our relationship with others. The Ten Commandments shapes us into people who are, who are generous, who are respectful, who are protective of others. It's not about keeping what's mine. It's about I want to protect what's yours. I want to not 
get what's mine. I want to bless you. And it's such, a, it's such a different tone. It's such a different focus. But we're not protecting our rights. And when we're following these, these scriptures, what it's doing is it's, it's infusing in us a feeling of responsibility to look out for others, to bless others. We said before that the, the Ten Commandments kind of divided in two categories. The first four of the Ten Commandments are about loving God. And then the last six are about loving others. So I just want to go back through what we had just read. I want to go back through those last six commandments to talk about our relationship with others. And here's what I want you to consider as we read through these. Think about the implications. If we lived these out, how would obeying each of these commands bless someone else? So let's go back through those again. Exodus 20, starting in verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Well, if we did that, who, who would that bless? Well, for one thing, I mean, we're respecting our parents. We're taking care of our elderly relatives. We're expressing gratitude for what they've done for us. We, we make them feel appreciated. We're honoring them, not demanding something for ourselves. You shall not murder. Now, this respects the most precious gift of all, life. And we'll talk in another lesson here very soon about what that means in all the different ways of, of respecting life, whether it's you know, life for the unborn or when it comes to um, uh, capital punishment. and all, We're going we're to work through all of that. But this command, in, in the basis, upholds the value of every human. It is the foundation of human rights, of respecting others. The next one, you shall not commit adultery. Well, if this means, you know, when we are not going to commit adultery, we're not just protecting our own spouse. We're keeping our vows. We're protecting our integrity in our house. But this also protects other people's marriages. This is, this is being protective of other marriages. We're looking out for other families. This command says we're seeking what is best for others. And we're not going to do anything that's going, to, that's going to mess that up. We're not going to do anything that's going to entice someone away from their marriage. We're going to be the friends who encourage others to stay faithful in their marriages. We should never be the ones who are flirting with a coworker, no matter how innocent we try to make it. We're, we're, we should never be the one who are feeding someone else's dissatisfaction with their spouse. We should be the ones constantly trying to uphold what is good in other people's homes. Or the last three, you shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his oxen, donkey, anything that belongs to your neighbor. What all of these last three say is you can trust me. I want to be the sort of person that cares enough about you that you can trust me. You can trust me with your stuff. You can, you can trust me to tell the truth. You can trust that I'm not conniving how to get what is yours. I respect you and my relationship with you so much that I won't let possessions get in the way of that. I won't let my dreams or my desires overwhelm my integrity or how much I value you. You can trust me. You can trust me completely. And that others-oriented ethic is consistent throughout Scripture. 
I'm going to see, show you how this plays out throughout the rest of Scripture into the New Testament. Romans 12, starting verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Romans 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. Or again, Paul in Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Or 1 Corinthians 10, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. That is the biblical ethic, seeking the good of others, loving others, valuing our relationship with others so we can bless them. Now, like we said before, that, that love of others cannot become an idol. We have to get our priorities right here. Our love for others must respect the sacred and respect God's design and obey God's commands. It, it's, it's fear of God that guides how we love others in the right way. You can watch last week's sermon about that if you want to get a, a fuller explanation of that. But the, the theme of God's people being focused on others and feeling a responsibility for the good of others is, is impossible to miss in the Bible. And we also must not miss where the Ten Commandments say loving others begins. There is a, there's a, a purpose in the order in which the Ten Commandments are given. It starts with loving God, then loving others. But I think it's also important to notice where loving others begin. First, first four commandments about loving God, last six about loving others, and that fifth command, where the pivot happens between loving God and loving others, where that pivot happens and where the loving others begins, is with honor your father and mother. Now, why is that? Why is that where God starts teaching us about loving others? I think the simple answer is everything he's about to tell us that, that ethic that he's trying to form in our hearts, it starts at home. That's where it starts. In that, in that inner circle of, of husband and wife, of parents and children, of, of brother and sister, of grandchildren and grandparents, a God-honoring lifestyle of loving others begins at home. So here's the image I want you to have in your mind for the rest of this lesson. I just want you to, however, however you want to see this, whatever, whatever home it, it conjures up for you, I want you to see a house, a home in the evening and the, and the, and the warm light spilling out of the windows. That, to me, is one of the most, most beautiful and welcoming sights. That had a lot of associations for me. But that is what I want you to think about. A house full of light in the darkness. That is how our families should be in this broken world. Shining the light of truth. 
And our families and our homes are like power cells of blessing for others. That's why scripture is so concerned about protecting that family unit and the relationships within our homes. Because the world needs strong families committed to God and to each other. So the fifth commandment says loving others starts at home with family. Now, in the time of the Ten Commandments, think about when this was first given. Think about where they were headed. This is the Israelite people coming out of slavery, and they're going to be headed to Canaan. And the reason that God is giving them that land is because those people in Canaan have become so unbelievably corrupt and immoral that God said, I, I, just, I cannot let this continue. He's preparing them to go into that place with some of the worst influences the earth has ever seen. And so these 10 commandments are fortifying the Israelite families because they're about to go somewhere where they're going to be surrounded by pagan nations whose religious practices included prostitution and child sacrifice. These people's gods were, they were adulterous, they were depraved, and that is how those people who worship those gods, that's how they acted. They acted just like their gods. And so for God's people, the resistance against those immoral influences began in the home. Godliness begins in how we treat each other in our family. Morality is learned in those relationships. That's why many of the New Testament letters end with what's called a household code. I'm going to show you just, just a, a few from, from Paul and from Peter, but this is a, a common thing. You just, when you start reading through all the, the New Testament epistles, you start noticing, I've heard this before. It, it's, it's a common teaching strategy for the apostles. Because what they do is they say, okay, here's, here's the truth. Here's the theological truth I want you to know about God, about loving God. And then towards the end of the letter, he says, now here's how you live this out. Here's how you apply this. And where they start is in the house. Where they start is in the family with these household codes. So for instance, uh, and I just, I actually took some pictures of my Bible last night to show you up here. Just, I don't know, your Bible headings may be a little different than mine, but so in Ephesians, Paul, towards the end of that letter, he ends that letter in chapter five with a household code. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. He ends Ephesians with, now here's how you live this out in your house, because this is where it needs to start. And then when he writes to the Colossians, if you read through Colossians, after just reading Ephesians, you're going to say, man, this sounds familiar. Because Colossians 3 is almost exactly the same words in the same format. The, the heading in my Bible for that section, Colossians 3, is Christ in your home. It's a household code. He said, here's how you live this out, because this is where it starts. This is where you need to get it right first, among the people who are in your own family. Or, or Peter, 1 Peter he ends his first letter in 1 Peter 3, giving applications for wives and husbands. Peter gives them a household code. Or in the, the letter of 1 Timothy, Paul's in a detail about our responsibility for taking care of our family members. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and read this one out because he, he says a lot about this. And, and it, Paul is insisting that Christians take care of each other in their extended families. This is what he says, 1 Timothy 5, starting verse 3. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has, she says, so, so church, church leaders, 
If you have a, a widow in your church who truly has nobody else, she is on her own, then her church family, her church family, then takes responsibility for her. We're going to take care of her. But if she has biological family, if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. And then verse, drop down to verse 8. But those who won't work for their, or don't care for the relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. If you call yourself a Christian and, and you refuse to take care of some folks in your family who need you, you're, you're worse than an unbeliever. So he ends out in verse 16, if a woman who is a believer has relatives who are widows, she must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church. Then the church can care for the widows who are truly alone. This is honoring your father and mother. That command, that wasn't for just little kids. He didn't throw something in there just for little kids about, you know, little kids obey your, your parents. This is what he was talking about. It's a command that does not end when you leave the house. This is what he's talking about. Paul takes those commands of loving others right back to where the Ten Commandments start with loving others, the home, the family. We have to get it right there. It starts in the home. Augustine asked a great question. He said, if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he'll spare? If, if he feels no responsibility, if he has not been touched at all by what his parents have done for him, will he respect anybody? Will he feel an obligation to take care of anybody else if he didn't feel that with his own parents? Augustine's touching on a deep truth here about why honoring parents ranked enough to be included in the Ten Commandments. And here's why. Moral families are the foundation of a moral society. That is, I think, the principle I see in the Ten Commandments. That, I think, is the principle I see in those household codes in the New Testament. Because if we don't learn in our homes to respect others, if we don't learn within our families that sense of responsibility towards others, where and how will we ever form a moral character? We lose, we lose so much as a society when we lose intact families and marriages. And I, don't, I'm not, I decided I'm not going to give you all the stats. I can, I, I'll be happy to give them to you later if you want to see. But there's been multiple research projects over decades that all come back to saying the same thing. All sorts of research affirms the negative impacts on children physically and emotionally and academically and morally and economically when they don't have the security of an intact family. I mean, whether it's a, you know, a, fam a father's absent or there's a divorce or parents aren't married and the, and the living situations are unstable and there's, there's different guys in the house over the course of the years, there are going to be adverse impacts on children. There, there just are. We need to stop pretending like there's not. Acknowledging that truth, by the way, does not diminish the sacrifices and efforts of single parents. I know many Christians, many single Christians, who are raising kids or grandkids or foster kids on their own, and they are amazing. But they're doing the best they can in, in, a, in a situation that is not 
ideal. They're, they're doing the best they can in the situation that they find themselves in. So they're, they're stepping into the gap in a broken world for kids who need them. And every parent I know who is a single parent would agree that ideally, parenting is best when a mother and a father are in the same house, committed to each other and their kids. That's the best. And that is the model that works best because that is God's design. So, so we're not devaluing single parents. We're not devaluing single adults when we uphold the value of family and marriages and parenting. We're just acknowledging the model that works best, the model we need to protect in a broken world that's trying to attack and blur that concept of family. There's a book out by Rod Dreher called Live Not by Lies. And in that book, he's interviewing Christians who live or have lived under communist regimes or dictators who, who were persecuted by their governments. And it's so amazing that one of the things that keeps coming up in all of those experiences, in all of those interviews, is how those governments try to destroy family structures and replace the family with the state. There's, there's, a, there's a, a story about a mom going to a school to meet her son's teacher, and at one point the teacher just holds on to her son and says, this boy is ours, meaning this boy belongs to the school. This belongs to the communist government that I serve. And then one woman who endured persecution in Czechoslovakia said, she said, it's no accident that every dictatorship always tries to break down the family because it's in the family that you get the strength to be able to fight. And Dreher titled that chapter, Families Are Resistance Cells. And I think that's a biblical way to think about it because in the home, in the family, we're protecting that light of truth. We're teaching children to respect the sacred, to fear God, how to love others, so for our households to bless others like God intended, we must respect God's design for the family. I decided to end the day by just making three statements. I'm going to make three statements, and they're simple statements. And honestly, these should not be controversial, but because of the world we live in, they may strike some folks that way. I'm not trying to be controversial. I just think there's some truths that need to be spoken out loud. There's some reminders that just need to be said. Because if we're going to respect God's design and uphold his wisdom and be blessed by him, there are some things we need to be clear about, some things we just have to say out loud so we don't get drowned out by the unbelieving world out there, so, so that we ourselves do not forget. So let's go back to the fifth commandment, to, to the, the home and the family, because we said this is where loving others begins. And that command raises up some essential truths. And here's the first one I see. Marriage is between a man and a woman. I just think that needs to be said out loud. 
Because the fifth commandment says, honor your father and mother. That's God's design. And that was God's design for marriage. Marriage between a father and a mother. That was the foundation of the family. And then there's no positive example or endorsement for a different definition of marriage in the Bible. Now, yes, we have several examples in Scripture of, of polygamy, for instance, but there is never a positive example. Never once when a man marries more than one woman does that not cause problems. There's always dysfunction. There's always problems in those stories every time that comes up in Scripture. And every time Jesus taught about marriage, he assumed it was a husband and a wife. That's the, that is the form of marriage that he was always talking about when he talked to us about marriage. There is just no positive example and there's no allowance.